0: This episode is brought to you by City on Fire by number one international bestseller Don Winslow. Stephen King has called Don Winslow one of America's greatest storytellers, and Christian White has said that City on Fire is a masterpiece, wonderfully crafted, beautifully written, and a propulsive, authentic page turner. It's already receiving rave reviews all around the world, with Publisher Weekly, Library Journal, Kirkus, and Booklist all already giving it starred reviews saying epic, stunning, and brilliant. It will be released in Australia on the 4th of May, so pre-order now. Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm your host, Danny V.
1: From all of us in the writing community, we just think you're amazing because you put your heart and soul into everything you talk about on this amazing show.
0: The podcast has over 35,000 listeners every month. I
1: love coming on your show and I love talking about it. Oh, my God, I finally get to speak about it. You talk about all the things that I've been living with by myself for so long. And, I mean, you provide that opportunity to so many of us and, you know, always are an amazing host.
0: We chat about books, the writing process, and how literature has the power to change the world. But most of all, we have real conversations and we have a laugh. Uh, I'm feeling sick. I <laughs> Thanks for being here and sharing the journey. Welcome to another Words and Nerds episode where we bring literary goodness straight to your ears, wherever you are. I'm always super excited to chat to my guests, but this time times that by 10. Today I welcome author, true creative, friend, and brilliant human, Felice Arena.
1: Oh, thank you, Jenny. Thank you for having me back. Wow. I know I remember our first our first visit, right? We were also when we met a couple of years ago back in 2019, I think I had a great escape had just come out, one of my uh, historical novels. And we were so it was almost like, you know, when you first meet someone and you're not really sure and it's hi, how and we're all a little tentative with each other. Now it's like, oh hey daddy, how you doing how you doing?
0: Hey Fleachy. It was like a first date, really. It was like a first
1: date. How you doing? (laughs) <laughs> and I wasn't cool. And I'm at just all. trying
0: to remember how to speak, how to ask questions, you know, just the basic stuff, trying to remember words, you know.
1: <laughs> exactly. And you know, podcasts were just just starting out really, weren't they? When
0: I started, I think like only 5% of the American population were listening to podcasts. That has increased a lot. I don't know if that had to do with COVID or whatever, but now it's like, you know, it's it's more than probably, um, I think it's around 30%, but I, I may have also made up that figure, so don't quote me on it. But I know that's it's grown right. a lot from the 5% from when I started, so that's really cool. No, but for listeners... For listeners, I need to introduce you properly. I could just say this is Fleachy but I think you deserve more. So here we go. Felice Arena is one of Australia's best-loved children's writers. He is the author and creator of many popular and award-winning children's books for all ages, including the acclaimed Historical Adventures, The Boy and the Spy, Fearless Frederick and A Great Escape, as well as the best-selling Specky McGee books and the popular Besties, My Seven-Year-Old's Favourite, Andy Royd and Sporty Kids series. How do you feel when I talk about you like that?
1: Uh, As if it's someone else. It's very (laughs) dreamlike. I know some others say that but I do when I I was at a school I have just started to return to live presenting at schools again after Zooming for two years and I was at a school today and I'm a little rusty but seeing all the books on display as you enter a school you go wow I have been busy and it does feel (laughs) dreamlike but also uh, something I'm very proud of too. It's, I, I can look back and say, oh, 20, 20 years, 20 plus years coming up to the, yeah. yeah so, and uh, it's, and it does feel like it's, I always say, and I've said this before, I feel like I've come out of a trance. Whenever I'm myself into writing and it, we've all heard this before, that creative flow. You lose yourself so much in your own, own work when you are creative, especially writers, cause you're in your own head all the time. And then you forget that, okay, this is now out in the world. You have no real control of it. Um, uh, it's 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 out there. It's out there now, and now you have to deal with deal with that. I am excited by the new book as well, and 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 every book. I always try to better myself, and it it, it shifts. You evolve as the years go on. It never gets old to see a new book come out, or but it never gets old to see the reaction of kids. And that's what I missed in the last couple of years. With Zooming, yes, it was all two-dimensional, but today I got to see the kids in 3D, you know, actually there reacting to the stories.
0: I was a high school teacher for a very long time and what I really loved about being in the classroom is that kids will always find the joy and they remind you to play and no matter what's going on in the world, they will always find joy in the world.
1: They will. And we've forgotten how to play and being bombarded by so many, well, in the news at the moment, you know, it's it's nice to sort of switch off occasionally from that and kids know how to do that. They know yeah, that they, they remind you do. again. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's get back to the unstoppable flying Flanagan. I adore this cover and I love the feel of this book. It's really cool. Can you give us an elevator pitch as to what this book is about?
1: Uh, Okay, it's Melbourne, 1942. Uh, My first three historical novels, I took a different path from writing. Most people would know me from writing sports fiction like Specky McGee or Sporty Kids. But back in 2016 or 17, I decided to go another path. I do love writing action and movement in my stories and sport, but I also love travel, when we could travel, um, and history. And I wanted to incorporate that action and movement into my stories. So the first historical novel, back in 2017 was The Boy and the Spy. It's set in Sicily, World War II. The second one was Fearless Frederick uh, about the floods in Paris in 1910. The third uh, about the Berlin Wall in 1961. And this one was a little closer to home in Melbourne in 1942. It's about a girl who wants to play football. She loves her footy, but it's 1942. Now with AFL women's at the moment, I think most Australians think that women in sport just started five years ago or 10 years ago. But the truth is (laughs) uh, women in sport have have been around for a long, long time. It's only now they're starting to get the opportunities. And even now we still have a long way to go in terms of gender equality in sports. Uh, But with Flying Flanagan, it was inspired by some real-life events. So when the, the men were fighting overseas in World War II, the women took on the role or joined the workforce, took on the roles considered to be, uh, the jobs considered to be for men, but they also played the sports that were considered to be for men, like Australian rules football or soccer, they did this in the UK as well, or baseball in America. But here in Australia, they were playing Australian rules football and under the guise of raising money at charity events uh, to raise money for the troops. And I was surprised to see all this in my research. And I thought, yep. It's time Maggie's voice was calling out to me, Maggie Flanagan, the unstoppable flying Flanagan, and she wants to play football. But it's 1942. And when she suggests to her teachers that she wants to raise money for the troops but she wants to have a charity football match with all girls playing, it's outrageous. How could you even think
0: of that? Outrageous, Felicia. Yeah. How so, could you think of that. Outrageous. I love that. So
1: begins the adventure. Uh, and she faces, obviously, some obstacles along the way.
0: Mm, but uh, such spirit she has, such spirit she has and love, spirit,
1: yeah. She draws on the community as well. She draws on uh, not just girls, but the women in the, her community. She she lives in East St Kilda. Um, that time uh, we were all in lockdown here in Melbourne in 2020. That's when it was very difficult for me to be creative in lockdown. But after a few months, by the third or fourth month, I really had to do something. And walking around our five kilometre radius here in Melbourne, I live in in, right in Melbourne in, near St Kilda, walking around, it was time for me to write this story. And she actually was a, a real comfort for me, a real support thought through that that Mm, that year. Um, So her voice I always say the characters come to me they I don't go to them they come to me and if their voices are still there in your head uh, five weeks on or six weeks on or two months on or three months on you go okay it's time to write your story and and I loved researching I had the time to do it in lockdown to research articles from 1942 and and these games these historical games that not a lot of people know about
0: I didn't know about it. and I loved it. And I love the spirited girl who says, you know what, I know the rules, but I don't care. I'm going to do this anyway. I mean, what better role model do you need?
1: (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Someone said, well, this is gonna be great when you speak to girls about this. And I said, yeah, I would love the girls obviously to read this, but it's the boys I want to talk to. Um, They need to hear this. They need to hear about gender inequality and how far we've come and how far we still have to go in sport. I mean, they were surprised to hear that I said that AFL women uh, get paid six times less than the men, you know, Uh, that they have other jobs they have to do. They can't just play football like the men, but they'd love to. And we're we're heading toward that, and hopefully we head toward that pretty pretty soon, but we still have a long way to go. It was time to introduce them to 1942, because culturally, whilst there was this horrific thing called World War II happening in the background, um, and it was the first time that the war came to Australia's shores, it takes place a week after Darwin Darwin was bombed, uh, there's this fear in the community, just very much like today and what we're going through with current affairs at the moment. There was this certain fear as well, but there was also this richness in in pop culture. So I introduced them to what was happening in, in music at the time. Uh, we had 60,000 Americans stationed in Melbourne, in Parkville, and you know, they came, they all looked like Hollywood stars. They had uh, zippers instead of buttons in tidy uniforms and they knew how to dance the jitterbug and there were dance halls in Swanston Street at the Capitol Theatre or people would go to the movies just to get away from all the horrific news. They, as we did during a lockdown, mm-hmm. we'd all binge Netflix, you know, and just watch,
0: watch series <laughs> of- doesn't sound as fun, though, as a dance hall, flitting. not as
1: fun, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> as a dance hall or dancing the jitterbug, uh, but it was so much fun to talk about that with the, with the kids today and, and bring them back to 1942 um, in Australia and what it felt like. I actually introduced them to if you were to go to the cinemas in 1942, it would cost you about sixpence, sixpence, about half a shilling, wow. which is equivalent to 10 cents today. You should have seen the oh, response wow. from the kids. They were like, ten <laughs> cents, and then I said, and then I introduced them to a bag of lollies. These were the lollies you could buy, or if you're listening to this over in America, candy or sweets in the U- UK. Um, a bag of lollies, and I introduced them to some of the lollies that were back, were around then, and are still here today. Oh, wow. um, uh, so you could buy a bag of lollies for about threepence or threepence, they call threepence three pence, and that was about five cents. And in that bag of lollies you could find musticks, which were still big. Mm, we still have yeah, musticks today. Yeah, do. Uh, I'm not a big fan of musticks. Uh,
0: what, what about the milk bottles? Are they a 40s sort of thing? Actually...
1: No, no, no! They came a lot later. They came a lot later. No? we did have okay. aniseed, aniseed, aniseed balls. I do like the milk bottles, though, but they came a lot later. Aniseed <laughs> balls were sort of like that licorice taste, and they've been around since the 14th century. Mm-hmm. We had rose, uh, rose apple lollipops, um, which are still around today. You could buy also. Uh, Jaffers had just come into it. And, you know, there's that urban myth of Jaffa. People would roll Jaffas down the aisle in the 50s, 60s, 70s and 80s. But in the 40s, they were there. Jaffas were still there based on... Actually, I'm not sure. Jaffa comes from a brand of an orange. Did you know that, Danny? So we have naval oranges. No, I did not. Jaffa oranges from the Middle East. And they're really actually quite sweet. So that was the coating of Jaffas. And so explaining this to the kids today and showing them and bringing them back to 1942, they were really kind of intrigued by, as I was eating these lollies in front of them, they said, I'll give us some. I said, we can't, it's COVID, you can't have any. Um, And then I led them into Maggie's story, and into the history of Australia's football and AFL women's. Uh, And so it was a nice lead up to that. I introduced them to some of the jobs Mm -hmm. that people would have had back then. Um, When the men went off to war, uh, some of the jobs, that I showed them a picture of a man holding this big tin can on his shoulder, and I said, what job do you think he had? It was a disgusting job and one monkey put up his hand and he said oh is that the poo man the poo man he'd come to the <laughs> empty the toilets I said exactly toilets weren't inside back in 1942 they were at the back of the yard they were the outhouse mm. the the dunny the good old dunny and he said he was the dunny man who would come out and clean that every day. <laughs> um, they were surprised to see that they would deliver ice and we didn't have fridges where they deliver ice each day. There was the ice man or the ice woman because a lot of men went off to, to fight. That was seen as a, a man's job. Um, uh, then there was the, the milk delivered of milk bottles. But the women really stepped forward, stepped, stepped up to take over and keep society running. You know, it was a, a real shift in in, in, in in women's movement as well. And it was it was in my research, I found it. Um, I was curious to find out when the men came back from war, they wanted their games back. They wanted their jobs back. Mm. And the women had proven they could do this, you know. Uh, And why couldn't they have these jobs? Why couldn't they play Aussie rules? Could you imagine if they were allowed to start up their own leagues as if they, when they wanted to, straight after the the men came back and how evolved we would have come from from there from mm. now to right 42 mm. 80 yeah, years it's ago interesting, we were close isn't to it? having leagues 80 years ago i know <laughs> i know um there was a movie in the early 90s uh called a league of their own with madonna and gina davis and it was all about uh women playing baseball in baseball leagues tom hanks was the coach yep in this movie as well. This was happening right around the world at the time. There was so many uh, soccer teams in the UK, or football over there, um, and and large crowds would show up. And at first they'd show up thinking it was just like like a carnival, almost going to the circus. Let's see women trying to play football. This is hilarious, right? (laughs) But they really got hooked and, and could see that this was great. This was, why shouldn't we watch this and see this? Why shouldn't women play? Yes, it was fun to read uh, accounts about this and watch videos. I found this amazing YouTube clip and it was mislabeled and it was said women playing rugby. Oh, my, my, what would grandmother think? But it wasn't (laughs) rugby, it was Australian rules football. And the commentator on it, it's this old black and white footage of a 1933 game. Um, here in Melbourne, and you can hear the condescending tone in the voice, but it really just reflected men of that time, the time. of that yeah. of the time. And you can hear him say, "And here they come, the lovely ladies in there with their dainty ankles in their big brother's boots. Oh, isn't this fun? And here they come. Oh, watch out, love. Here, and you know, and you think, oh my God, in twenty two, great 22,
0: impersonation. Twenty two, or
1: oh, was it? <laughs> yeah, they put on it that sort fantastic. of faux British accent. I right? was there. <laughs> Um, I was there? <laughs> were you there? But you can. I, I'll send you the link, or send maybe we could have a link somewhere where people watch this yeah. um, on the podcast. Gotcha. They can go and see the link, and to hear that condescending tone again. I know it reflected the era, but we've come a long way. But we still need to still need to go a little further. I think we're I don't, I'm not. We're not quite there. Yeah. You know, Absolutely.
0: I love how you said at the very beginning, um, and I just wanted to circle back a little bit that it's funny how throughout time we've always had to have these conversations with, with the girls, you know, we have to have those conversations, you know, about everything. To the girls, but you hit the nail on the head when it's actually you need to have that conversation with everybody, with everybody. because if society is going to change, you know the boys need that conversation too. So it's really interesting well, that you've books that reading
1: up. books fuels empathy. We get a, a sense of understanding about others walking in someone else, else's shoes or footy boots. You know, mm. you get a sense of what they, <laughs> what, they what they've gone through, and I think leaders of today are not probably didn't read enough books growing up and understand compassion.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think so too.
1: And that's what we're missing in the world. We really are missing that right now. So it is important to talk to the younger generations coming up and saying, you know, it's important for you to, to feel, see what others had to go through and the obstacles they had to overcome to, to get to this stage in life. It doesn't have to be, you know, it could be any, mm. any sort of rights at the moment, you know. You can yeah. see. you, can, you
0: No, I totally agree. And, and yeah. psychologically, you know, I've heard, I've read these studies where psychologically your brain physically changes with the in- amount of books that you read. You know, so I just find that phenomenal. So if you've got person A who's not read a single book, what happens to their brain throughout their life? And then you've got someone who reads, I don't know, maybe 20, 30, 50 books a year. What happens to their brain? Like it would be an amazing study that I really wish someone would do. So if you're a
1: scientist, a
0: scientist, psychologist can you get on that for me
1: (laughs) i would love to see that or the type of characters in the world like if you had famous people we know and just say let's have a look at your history of reading
0: so i think from now on any future leaders of any country they have to give us a list of books they've read and and give us some sort of like premieres reading challenge or something
1: (laughs) deal breaker (laughs) deal breaker not voting for this you're out you're
0: out (laughs) see you later I want to change gears a bit here because I really want to have time to talk about this, like, 20 years, Specky McGee, 20 years of a number one bestseller. I'm holding this gorgeous book in my hand, the 20 years celebrating. Tell me how this feels. It must be so special.
1: Uh, 20 years of Specky McGee, yeah, it was one of those – Oh, it sounds like a, such a cliche, lightning in a bottle moment, but it really was a turning point for me. Uh, up to this stage, I had been writing, I had three or four books out before this, four middle grade novels, and I was first published in the UK. And then uh, I found myself back in Australia and, and, and thought, this is what I really want to do. I had this started off as, a, as an actor and a school teacher. And then I was back here and I bumped into my old school friend, Gary Lyon, who was the Specky McGee of our school. And he went on to be a, the captain of the Melbourne football club and a, and a personality and a football commentator. Um, and I remember so he we had met each other on one of my visits back. Our families had kept in contact and um, I was invited to the launch of his bio, biography. And um, I said, look, I have... I've missed Australia. I've lived overseas for a long time. I have this story about a kid uh, called Specky McGee. Specky was the catch cry. Remember in our schoolyard, everyone wanted to take a spectacular or a Specky mark. Even if you weren't playing football, but just walking in the corridor, someone would try to take a Specky mark over the top of you. I said, that was the catch cry. And you were the Specky of uh, of our school, Gary. I would love to write a book based on someone, not your, your life, but someone who absolutely loves football. But using football as a backdrop. Mm. Um, and I just need your football brain. And initially, I just wanted him to write football. And nowadays, I think publishers would just have a football celebrity or a sporting celebrity and write it in house or get a writer to ghost it. But because Gary and I had that history, we've known each other since we were eight years old. I said this could be a fun thing to do. And I, at that stage, I've got to be honest, I wasn't sure if he could write. I just really wanted him to to do football passages or the football tips throughout the story. But it evolved into a partnership. And he said, No, I really want to have a go at this leach and. And names both on the cover and and let's do this. It'll be fun to try it. But I think he was taken aback by the fact that it really did uh, just strike a chord with so many kids, especially kids who were sports fans, not just football, not Aussie rules. They might have loved rugby or soccer, but they could get into that sports language into this book and they could see themselves in this book and they could see that there were their trials and tribulations not just happened on the field, but off the field as well. And you got to see what Australian life, the teenagers aged 12 and 14 through sports or sports language was like through specking. That first week, it really did take us by surprise because I remember it The publishers had run out. They didn't have enough. They didn't print enough, and it just it just sort of exploded. This is all prior before social media, so there was nothing to tell me that things were happening. I couldn't look at my phone at the time because at the time it was what those razor flip phones or whatever they were. It was just really for (laughs) ringing someone, not to see what was going on in the world. Yeah. Yeah, we had Google, I suppose, or whatever Yahoo back then to find out what you could find out out there, but. Really, I always had my blinkers on and wasn't sure until I went out to schools and people saying, oh, my God, this book is just, it's jumping off the shelves. Kids are really connecting with it. Um, but I had trialled it out. I have to say, I had read, I love my school visits, as you know, Danny, and I, and I don't think I could be a children's author without balancing that out without talking or giving back, because that's what it's all about, right? You want to get them excited about reading. So I remember reading Specky, <laughs> while I was writing Specky to kids in schools, and I didn't have a lot of books out then. I actually had a couple, only a couple books out and they were published in England, not even here. So they didn't know who I was or what I was doing. I said, look, I'm writing something. Let's bring this character to life. And I wrote a script version of Specky McGee of the first chapter, and I got some of the kids up there to reenact the characters. And even through that, that was a great feedback for me because I'd go back and write and I'd tell Gary about it and go, oh, I've got this reaction, this, uh, I got this reaction from this kid, maybe we'll put it in there. Um, and I could tell there was something bubbling, even though it wasn't, hadn't mm. been, it was still a year to be published. It was bubbling and I was trialling it out in all the, my school visits. Um, and then when it was published, then it took on a life of its own. We didn't sign a series. It was just one book in the beginning. And then because it did so well, the publishers came back and said, we offer you a three or four book deal. Can you do this? And that's a big chunk of your life. You go, for the next five years, are we going to be writing this? Where are we going to take specking? What are we going to do? Are we going to deal with some issues here from bully parents to bully <laughs> opponents? What, what, where do we take him you know, and, and keep it fresh? But we knew from the very beginning, it all has to stem from the story the story whatever it had it's about a lot of people in the beginning thought it was going to be like the back pages of a newspaper just football football articles but it was a lot more than that for me it was it was about real characters we based a lot of the characters on the the small town we grew up in in country victoria Gary and I did this and we and we said we need <laughs> to have real characters kids can connect with not just kid characters but adults they can connect with in this through the coaches and the parents and the teachers and the relationships that specky mcgee forms with all these characters throughout i am very proud of it i can't believe we've reached 20 years i hope it's can last another 20 years but even today it was nice to see a whole new generation so i've had teachers now who so you imagine now danny they were 10 they were reading this when they were 9 or 10 uh, 20 years ago they're now 30 31 wow. and I have met teachers who have and have made me feel pretty old but they've come up and said oh um you came to my school and I said oh uh, what where where did you teach last and they said no no I was in grade five when you came to my school and I remember Specky or I grew up on Specky it's the wow. I think it's a, a really lovely thing for someone to say this was a part of my childhood and uh, I've I get that. Specky McGee is sort of like a calling card, especially here in Melbourne. If people say, What do you do? I write children's books. What, what have you written? I, you might have heard of Specky McGee. They won't remember Felice Arena or Felice or whatever his name is, but they know Specky McGee. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: love that. Yeah. What I love too, like, you know, as a teacher and I speak to librarians and things, like, this is a book that has brought kids who may not have loved reading. Brought a love of reading to them you know i'm not saying they're the only kids who've picked up this book but they are definitely picking this yeah. book up so it's amazing that i think you have created readers as well that's a
1: nice that's a nice the thought tab yeah I know I had in the beginning I got a lot of parents or a lot of parents would write you know in the days where you write letters they couldn't you know even then we it, I didn't even have a website at the time and they would write letters to the publishers and the publishers would forward letters it was very old school and I'd write letters back to them and it was a lot worth
0: fan mail fa- real, real life fan, fan mail, mail but that's it felt cool from,
1: I was really touched by it but um it, see with Specky McGee it was something I would have read as a kid and I've always you know I I've Nowadays, I challenge myself as a writer to try other genres and other things. But I think in the early days, when you're starting out, you write. You always hear you write what you know. But I was writing about my childhood years. My childhood years was extremely rich in in growing up in country Victoria and riding our bikes and swimming in irrigation channels, kicking the footy. A lot of our growing up happened in and out and around sporting clubs. Even if you weren't into sport, you'd go along anyway because your mates were there. Um, And I was a little, I suppose I was a little odd because I was also into sports, but I was also into theatre. I don't think my sporting mates, footy or soccer mates, could understand, well, I'm off now. I'm off to rehearse in, uh, you know, seeing Oliver Twist, you know, or whatever I was doing, doing a little (laughs) tap dance number, and then I'll come back and play footy. I've combined my love of the arts plus sport into what I'm doing now as an adult, so I've been very, very fortunate that I've been able to do that as a living as well.
0: Yeah, I love that too. And this is what I loved about the unstoppable flying flag because I feel like you've got your – historical fiction and you've got your football and they've exploded in this one book so i feel like you know you've done this amazing collision of your ideas and that's what i can't help but wonder because you are this great juxtaposition of a human you know sports and footy and theater and tap dancing you're an actor a writer you're an illustrator you're just this you know amazing creative being so i just want to ask you maybe you don't even know but what's next for Felicia? arena (laughs) uh,
1: that was very nice i should get that all written on a T-shirt, whatever you just said there, Danny. So people will remember. <laughs> Done. I will print it for myself. you on
0: a T-shirt. <laughs> um, wear it around.
1: I, I just show my best bits, as we do, right? Right. We show the best parts of ourselves. <laughs> but these are the things I've always loved as kids, as a kid, and I, I've always stuck at that. Um, what's next for me? I have a picture book coming out uh, next year, and it really taps into my Italian heritage. That's all I can Ooh. reveal at this stage. Oh! Yes, and it's, yes. it's, it's wordplay again because I do love, <laughs> with the picture books I have done in the past or for junior books, I like to play with words and rhythm and, and, and yeah. repetition. I love
0: this so much.
1: So there is one that, and look, the illustrator they've teamed me up with, uh, she is from Italy and she has a great following over there and I've just received some of the storyboard the initial story the illustrations they show you storyboarding of it before they go and off and and, and lose themselves and actually do wow. the real real illustrations I've got to say this is, it's beautiful you can see this Italian feel to it all but oh, it taps I into something hate. we love see I was the first generation Italian so I think Looking back now, I see that I had the best of both worlds, even though that was the last thing I mm. wanted to be, was an Italian kid in a country town growing up. No way. With a name no. like Felice? Oh, yeah. God, no.
0: I was the same, Felici Like when I grew up, I've you know, my dad's Dutch-Indonesian and my mum's Australian and, and I just didn't feel like i was ever gonna be like that it was a struggle as a kid you know it's a struggle being chucked into this pool of people who didn't look like you
1: i think being somewhat of an outsider it helped, I suppose, as a writer to feel because you could get to observe and how others observed you. Mm. Uh, writers are great mm. observers, and for me, and look, I didn't. I think so yeah. too. Yeah, and I didn't feel Australian. I was to, to, telling a friend about this the other day, and, and he didn't know. And I said I didn't feel actually Australian until I was an exchange student to America as oh, a as an eighteen year old. Oh wow! And I went over to Northern, and it was the American <laughs> saying, "Here Such comes the Aussie," and I and I had to do. Hey, <laughs> you like, wait, wait, I'm the Aussie.
0: You looked behind you. What? Hang Where? on. Where's I haven't the been
1: the Aussie for a. Well, no, I was the. Maybe the Wong, but can I wasn't the Wong. Can I
0: ask you a question, yeah. right? question because when you're creative you're putting stuff out there that people might hate not all that's good well i'll speak for myself all of what you put out is good for tv you. you know not everything you create is good no, and not. <laughs> you're not af- <laughs> but you're not afraid to try stuff where you- no matter what your creative pursuit is and i almost think being an outsider not fitting in it gives you sort of permission to continue not fitting in so you're like oh well i'm going to try this thing and if it doesn't work out well it doesn't matter because i've kind of been on the edges anyway do you think that's a thing
1: i think and again, I don't want to sound cliche here, but it is almost like there's times where I think as you age, you need to shed all that and, and just yeah. be authentic. Because you're as an observer, as the outsider, as a kid, that's your authentic self talking to yourself. That's your voice going, Fleech. I know you're not quite blonde, blue-eyed or you have an Irish name and you're trying really hard to fit in, but you know that's not you. And it's okay to yeah. be you. It's okay to be this. And they people who do like you or love you or like you because who you are, because you are Felicia yeah, and not, you exactly. know, uh, someone else. Exactly.
0: Um, Hard to swallow when you're a kid, I reckon. And I, I there was this one pivotal moment, which sounds really lame, but I was in kindy, and all the Bond girls got to be angels, and I was the drummer boy. Like now, I really dig that, because who wouldn't want to be the drummer boy? But at the time, it was devastating, Fletch. All I wanted to do was be a golden angel.
1: <laughs> I think we all want to read that. It's funny because in Flying Flanagan, I do. It's there's it a lot of Irish Australian Irish Australian history, and I I was in a in a class filled with Irish names, you know, um, oh. and I have a love affair with Ireland. I think because of my Irish Australian or Australian Irish. Let me just start off, Australian Irish. <laughs> everyone's Australian. Let's say that. But there was that, you know, you had your O'Rourke's, your Doolins, your Nolans, your O'Learys, your Mulligans, uh, your Tuies, um, and then and uh, then the uh, occasional Ortega name thrown in that as well mm, it's, so, it's such a diverse cultural nation now it's wonderful when I go into mm. schools to see there's so many different names you know <laughs> it's not just
0: yeah no it's great it's changed now yeah but I think when we were growing up it was a, it was a little bit different and I, I had a great childhood yeah. I can't complain but it was noticeable you know as it was to you it was noticeable to me that you just kind of didn't fit in as much as I really wanted to you know so it's interesting yeah but
1: again going back to being an observer I mean someone might say well here's this kid growing up who's a kid in the 70s and 80s as a little wog boy who played soccer played wog ball and that's what they said to me you're playing wog ball why don't you play Aussie rules and I write about an Aussie rules kid called Specky Meaghy because I so wanted to be in the team let me be in your team Hmm. I want to play. I want to be a part of this. Don't call oh, me Felice. Call me. One year they, I think they called me Ted. Someone wanted to call oh. me Ted. <laughs> for a year. Oh, and Felice. then my dad heard my Ted. My dad had turned up at a sports day and they heard he heard someone calling me Ted. And I, said, they said, what's that? I said it's just a nickname. And and in fact, I'm, I'm thinking I might even change Felice to the English version, which is Felix. Felix? Perhaps. Mm-hmm. Felix might be easier. And I like the name Felix. I I love the
0: name Felix.
1: It would have be been a lot easier, Felix. So, and it's funny because now I have Italian relatives. If I'd only known this, they sometimes call me Felix, not even Felice. When I've gone to Italy, they've said, "Oh, Felix is such an old name. It's the same name." But um, uh, yeah, I, going back to being that observer of wanting to fit in has helped. I think mm. my writing today is it, it impacted me that. now. Yeah, it has. It has.
0: Mm. Well, I love that so much. And look, I love chatting to you, Fleechi. I reckon we could sit here for three hours, but I we'll, so. do yeah. no, we'll do that face-to-face. Yeah, we'll do that
1: face-to-face, yeah. I don't know. Let's do that. Face face. Oh,
0: glorious books. Let's do that. Um, yeah, the glorious books and glorious chatting with you. I feel like we always go to all these different places and we have a chat, and it's so much fun. Yeah, so I, I really, really appreciate it. Don't ramble
1: on. I do go on a little bit. Don't I? No, I love I it. I, but I, I, I'm just so very excited that you have invited me to be a part of this. I, I mean, I really am excited about this. But I, all my books, but the historical novels, because this one's close to home. I so want. I want. I so want our sons to read this. You know. This is the
0: one yeah absolutely yeah. they both need to absolutely and as a mother of one of each i make them both read Please. everything because they need to know about the world not just one perspective so thank you so thank much you, Fleechy. You so i love much. your thank work you. and um amazing book so thank, thank you so much you. for your time once again Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. We'd love to engage with you on social media. You can find the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, Danny V Books, Words and Nerds podcast. You can also subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Stay safe and read more books.